Welcome to The Offering, a bi-monthly conversation between four friends who share their experiences from an intersectional lens. My name is Christy. I'm Girabina. I'm Josie. And I'm Paula. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hey. And welcome to another episode of The Offering. On today's episode, we're talking about conversations with people who have problematic views or say fucked up shit, but you still love them. You know, so it's like really difficult. Um, but before we go into all of that, let's jump in what we're canceling today. Yes, and what we are canceling is maybe a phrase that people have heard before, maybe you haven't, but the phrase is all your skin folk ain't your kin folk. All your skin folk ain't your kin folk. Right, right. And so for folks who don't know what that means, that's essentially the people who look like you, people who might have the same skin tone as you or might have the same background as you, they might not always have your back. They might not actually be for your well-being or your community's well-being. So just because you see another person, you know, in the same class or in the same job that you think might be with you in community and they actually do some fuck up shit, they not, they not, they not they for not you. Down for yeah, yeah. Right, right. So they're canceled. Yeah. So let's say that you're in class, right? And it's a sea of white, and then two brown dots, right? And then <laughs> one of the white points says a fucked up thing, and you react. You're like, blah, 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 blah. then the white people are like, oh, you're making yourself the victim, and you look at your other fellow being like, auxilio. Please, help. <laughs> help. And the person turns to the left, turns to the right, and stays silent. Mm. You know, that's an example. It could be that this person has nothing to say, but at that moment, your skin folk was not your kin folk. They were like, I don't have a salvavidas for you. I got no help. There's no floaties. There's nothing. So you drown by yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm safe. Um, I've come across this in a professional setting where... Um, you know, we, or rather, I make the faulty assumption that, like, if I have a supervisor that's of color or is a woman of color um, or a colleague that, you know, is just going to get it and we're going to be allies just right off the bat, um, and they're not, they're actually either coming for me or, you know, they're trying to give me busy work. Um, and actually, Ken Hardy, who is a badass in topics of like race and class and like mental health and social services mm-hmm. um he talks about how that is a function of like colonialism and capitalism right whereas like i have to make sure that i keep you small even though you are you know a person that looks like me because at the end of the day you know there's only but so limited spots mm-hmm. for someone of color mm-hmm. you know and so um, I personally don't feel that way. I feel like there's, you know, enough for all of us, but um, that shit is super real. Yeah, um, and that goes into a topic that we might talk about later. It's like we live in a society that thrives on the idea of scarcity, mm-hmm. that there isn't enough for everyone, and, like, that's just that. That's an illusion. There is more than enough for everyone. Like, But because we live in, in that fake assumption, we act based on it, too. <clears throat> but that, that's for another podcast. So... Moving on to today's topic, 
this is a topic that I feel right now is very prominent in our society, especially for people of color and, like, some white people after Trump. Like, a lot of mm. people um, started feeling more um, encouraged to be racist out here in the streets and to say fucked up shit like, ain't nobody looking. Um, but that also goes into smaller things, like having uh, problematic conversations with your family, you know, when you're in dinner and your mom casually says, Paula, but I do not have it now, It's like, oh, Paula, you haven't done your hair because my hair is curly. Like, all of those things. So, within that context, what do you guys feel from your perspectives is, like, so frustrating about how having people in your life who, like, say problematic comments or, like, what is that like for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, um, I have to make some, like, really conscious decisions about, like, which battles I'm going to pick, right? Or which battles I'm going to fight. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, my coffee wasn't strong enough this morning. So, um, I think, so, for example, right, I'm Dominican-American, and, um, you know, my mom and my grandma say super problematic racist shit all the time. And I am uh, super aware that it's a function of the time that they grew up and, you know, their their 60s and 80s, res- respectively. And so, you know, I'm uh, fully aware that there's going to be, like, but so much that I can change um, their mindsets. Um, I can change some habits, but mindsets going to be a little bit more difficult. So, you know, if they say anything, like, about my hair, about someone else's skin complexion, if it's too dark, or if they say some things about, um, you know, we're back on the island, they say some things about Haitians, um, you know, I kind of pick and choose, like, mm, that's that's racist. Like, I'm, we've gotten to the point where I could just say, like, that's problematic and kind of leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But when things like that are being said around my 10-year-old sister or my nephew, who's 17... Um, that's when I kind of go in and say, like, wait, no, that's wrong. Because I know that, you know, I don't, I want to break the cycle, right? Mm-hmm. I know that I grew up with super problematic views because no one... I grew up with these messages and hearing these things, and it was normalized in my community. So it wasn't, you know, until I got to college and started thinking about those things critically. And so when it comes to my family members that are younger, I'm very vocal because I don't want them thinking that those messages are are okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I just kind of have to bite the bullet and be like, you fucked up. Other times I'm like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to fight this because I know that someone else's life really is kind of at stake. Mm-hmm. For me whenever I hear um people, particularly like friends and family who say problematic things, it's really it's really hurtful. It's really painful because um, not only does it, it might like resonate with some sort of like trauma or racial pain that I've um, experienced, but it might resonate with feelings that my friends have had, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have, I have a lot of black friends and um, I feel like I've learned a lot about um, racial trauma from the experiences of my black friends, mm-hmm. right? And so hearing people say, um, people who are close to me are supposed to be close to me who say anti-black things it just you know brings up all this hurt and pain again and then it's also really difficult to have these conversations mm-hmm. right especially if we come from a, you know kind of like a, a dichotomy of whether like you either you're woke you're with it you're conscious or you're racist you're stupid you're ignorant I don't fuck with you mm-hmm. and it's so much easier to walk away from you know like a co-worker or a classmate and be like bitch you racist bye I don't fuck with you 
And it's so much harder to do that with a childhood friend or, mm-hmm. you know, like a some family member. Yeah, like somebody who you have way more, um, you're like invested in, in their friendship and their relationship. It's really mm-hmm. hard to have that conversation um, and move out of that place of like, you're racist, you're stupid, you're ignorant, and I don't fuck with you. And just kind of like, you have problematic views. This might be why. This might be the context to it, but that's but that's still not okay, mm-hmm. and it needs to be addressed, or we it needs to be addressed in some way. Yeah, I think for me, um, it depends. I think my family, I can go in. I mean, I wouldn't say in on them, but I just ask them a lot of questions, yeah. try to for them to hear how they sound and to just question where they're coming from. But one time um, when I was in Cape Verde. This summer, um, we were having dinner with a few Verdians who are from Europe. And so uh, we were eating seafood while they were eating seafood. And we were talking, and this Verdian guy was like, yo, Americans have some ugly black people. Oof. And especially if they're fat. Oof. And dark. And I was just there, like, and my mom's looking at me, my brother's looking at me, because they're, like, waiting for me, because they know I'm, like... She's about to go off. I'm about to go off. But I was just, like, all the, you know, the historical context is in the back of my mind, but I get so emotional, and it was, Mm. you know, it wasn't, I wasn't at my house, it was, you know, a guest that invited me, and sometimes I get so emotional and so frustrated that I have to be quiet, because the first thing that will come to my mouth will be disrespectful and then you're gonna shut down and we can't have a conversation Mm -hmm. and I haven't yet learned how to put my emotions aside and be able to or even not put them aside and be able to have a conversation with people I just get furious Mm -hmm. and so I was I was sitting there and just listening to that I'm like yo Cape Verdeans do not like to associate themselves as being black Mm -hmm. and especially if you're a Cape Verdean born in Cape Verde or you moved to Europe and you're living in Europe, and you're Cape Verdean, they just be out here claiming that they're Portuguese. And I'm like, bro, that's your colonizer. That's not who you are. Oh, wow. You know? And I was just sitting there thinking about all these things, and I'm like, I can't. I'm not about to break this. I was just, I couldn't do it. And sometimes I can, but most of the times, I get just so mad, I can't move past my emotions. And I'm really trying to learn how to do that, but I have no idea how to. I think that what you said really resonates. I think that we are a product of colonialism. And what we have to kind of like internalize is the fact that colonialism stays after the guns leave. Mm-hmm. So like your colonizer doesn't need to be present with guns oppressing you yeah. for you to continue that oppression upon yourself and upon your peoples. And that trauma stays. Like when, when for like a prolonged amount of time you were reduced and your people were reduced to nothingness mm-hmm. and like your skin color literally determine your livelihood in a very different way than it does today because it still does today but like we're talking about you're going to be out here in a field working 22 hours a day mm-hmm. or you're going to be in a house having a slightly easier time so it's like when that's the case I feel like we learn to internalize and to hate ourselves mm-hmm. and when you have that internalized hatred I feel like it takes generations to, to undo that I was having a conversation with my mom and my mom was telling me, like, we, you know, I've been working for years now trying to, like, help my family move along. Move along the anti-blackness, uh, racism scale, just to go from 10 to, like, 8, 7, yeah. 6, 
and hopefully move move along that line. And my mom is looking at me, and we're, I don't remember what we were talking about. I remember that at one point she's like, you know, I'm not gonna lie. It's not like you and your brother wouldn't be prettier if you were lighter. <laughs> Been there, yo. And I was it's like, like, so commonplace. And I was like, okay, just just so that I understand, mom, you're saying that me and my brother will be will be more. Um, attractive. attractive if we were lighter. She's like, yes. My immediate reaction was, bitch, we're going <laughs> to fight. <laughs> like, I'm about to change my last name. You're not my mom no more. And then I was like, Paula, remember what you've learned about having these conversations. Remember that these things come from a place. And I was like, mommy, tell me what that means for you. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that means. Because what I'm, what I'm hearing is that you think that I'm ugly mm-hmm. because I'm dark. And then she automatically says, no, that's not what I'm saying. You're beautiful. But I know that because you're darker, your life is harder than if you were lighter. Oh. So my mom had an understanding of what it meant to be dark-skinned and what that does to your life that she internalized and it became to mean a multitude of things. Mm-hmm. One of them being, like, she equated beauty with ease. Mm-hmm. And that was so important because I was about to go off and, like, offend her. Yeah. And we were going to not talk for a few weeks. But what she was actually was like, she was like, you know, I felt your pain and be Dico's pain because I knew how in my family you guys were always treated differently because you were the darkest. Mm-hmm. And I always, and that made me wish that you guys were lighter so you would have had an easier time. Mm-hmm. So kind of humanizing that. That is not to say that my mom still says racist as shit, that she means a hundred percent. A hundred percent. But sometimes it is going in deeper into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And um, something that you said reminded me of like, how much it takes to be empathetic mm-hmm. and like take yourself out of the situation because at the end of the day all this shit comes from somewhere mm-hmm. and I think we're educated enough and well versed enough to know where it comes from it doesn't take away the hurt mm-hmm. um, but it is a practice in like I'm gonna acknowledge that I totally wanna got your fucking eyes out right now because you said some little fucked up shit and I know that this is not entirely your fault mm-hmm. you know it's just like how do you negotiate that like again honoring how that makes you feel and also um, acknowledging that like it's not entirely the person's mm-hmm. fault you yeah. know the only thing I hate was when people catch me off guard and I got yeah. nothing to say or mm-hmm. it doesn't hit me until like minutes after and I'm like did this dude just tell me like when I was in field last year um, one of the uh, white male teacher was like wow if you keep changing your hair like this mm-hmm. I'm not gonna recognize you mm-hmm. And it was early in the morning, 7.30. And I'm just like, why are we even talking in the first place? (laughs) It's too early. (laughs) Second of all, like, I still have the same face. Like, my hair might go from being super big to being... Like, my hair texture don't change. The color don't change. I'm not doing nothing crazy. It was no weave. I I don't have different eyes. I don't have different mouth. I literally had braids. I had French braids instead of my hair being out. And this dude said that, and I was just like... And it hit me, like, moments after. And I'm like, this mother just said, well, he just... I'm like, no. Like, I'm, I'll be in shock. Like, yesterday, my friend was over my house. And he was telling me how at his job, um, they haven't... Like, it's a big room. Yeah. And they all have desks there. And this uh, white woman across the room was like, um, Gil. Gil is Dominican. 
do you want an orange? And Gil was like, he was typing. He was like, no, I'm good. I don't want an orange. And homegirl had the nerve to say, at least it wasn't a banana, right? Oh, my God. And I was like, Gil, what did you say? And she was like, and Gil was like, yo, I, I was, I, I had nothing to say. Mm. Aren't you glad it wasn't a banana? That's what she said. Yo. And HR. then she realized what she said. And Gil was like, huh? And she was like, oh, no, no, nothing. No, bitch. I heard you. <laughs> I heard you. You basically wow. said, at least it's not a banana monkey. Yeah. So there's certain things that people say that are just wow. Like, you catches you so off guard. Yeah. And then you you over, and you keep thinking over and over mm-hmm. in your head, well, what I would say, well, yeah. I should have said this, I should have said yeah. that. Because I don't be quick with my comebacks. It depends mm-hmm. what kind of mood I am. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, I'd be heated. I'd be like, oh, I could have said this, I could have said that. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. I, for me, like, I'm also not really quick with the comebacks. Um, so, and I also really like to, like, prepare what I say when it's an mm. emotional conversation. So, in the past, I have, like, addressed coworkers and supervisors and people who have said problematic shit. Yeah. Um, and also to, like, kind of go back what we, you know, on our episode of Boundaries is, like, bitch, you not, you not going to do this? No, not today. So, like, um, I think that it's always, like, we should strive at least for me, um, to be able to, like, go back to people and be like, what you said was wrong and hurtful, and this is why, and you can't do it again. Um, And then also with people, like, in your family or in your friend group, like, if they're going to say something, if they have a problematic view, it's not going to be one time that they say something. Mm -hmm. So even if you miss that opportunity to address it, have things on the back of your mind in terms of, like, why what they said was wrong or how it affected you so that you can bring it up next time. And have a more, like, fruitful conversation um, because it's not so much rooted in reacting. Right. And I feel like, you know, for me, it's always, like, Paola keeps the score. It's like, (laughs) you said this fucked up thing three months ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I have that comeback, you know what I'm going to be like? Uh, Molly, Becky, three months ago (laughs) at one fifty-five p.m., you said... X, Y, and Z. I felt X, Y, and Z. And it's important for you to know this. And this is what needs to happen. Like, I feel like your emotions don't have an expiration date. Mm -hmm. If somebody hurt your feelings and you still hurt, and the the best way for you to um, digest that, make sense of that, is to have a conversation with that person. I don't care if it's a month, a minute, three months after that. You have the right to do that when Mm -hmm. you feel like you can. Because sometimes, even if you have the perfect comeback... Maybe you just can't, you don't have the capacity to yeah. have that comfort, confrontation at the moment. Maybe you're in a vulnerable place. What if you just, you just had a review at work that was like, you are two out of four. Mm. And you're like, if I confront this woman right now, it's going to make me a 1.5. <laughs> you know in the eyes of other people around you because right. it is always like when you're the person that's having these conversations in professional spaces, you become problematic. You become the problem. Mm-hmm. It is not the fact that people are saying racist shit around you. It is the fact that you're addressing it. You're uh, unbalancing the space. You're making people uncomfortable mm. with your views yeah. and confronting my racism. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. But then, then comes family. And I think that that is equally difficult, not more, because mm-hmm. you love like you love your family, right? But that's where multiple truths come into it. Like, yeah. you could love your family and recognize that they hold fucked up views. And sometimes the, the issue that I've encountered, 
Now talking more about process, right? Because we're all about talking about the process and the end result. Um, it's really difficult to go into those conversations because oftentimes we go in with multiple assumptions. Number one, mm-hmm. I'm right, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm going to teach you and I'm going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And if you enter any of those conversations with those assumptions, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Because you're automatically incoming with like, it's almost like I'm better than you and I'm stepping on you, bitch, and I'm going to show you. It's already one-sided. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a conversation. Right. And they're going to feel that. Like, they're yeah. not a fucking table. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're going to know that you think that you're better than them. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, like, recognizing that. And also, like, naming naming your emotion mm-hmm. so that you, like, c- can kind of, like, put that aside a little bit or, like, imp- find power in that, like... If you feel offended, if you feel hurt, be like, I feel hurt because you said this mm-hmm. and I want to have a conversation about it. And also, like, just literally ask them, what does that mean for you when you said blank? Yeah. Right. What did that mean? Like, really find out. Mm-hmm. And if what it really meant is that they're racist, then then talk about it. Right. But it could be like my mom, that, that it meant something completely different for her. Yeah. And then listen. That questioning is so important because when you can't capture the words or you can't, figure out how you're going to break it down to them to fully understand. I think questioning them will really start something in their mind, you know? And I feel like if you're up to and you could have that conversation when something problematic is said right then and there, then do it. Because otherwise, you're going to be carrying that on you. Mm -hmm. And that's a heavy burden to be carrying, you know? So if you could do it on the spot or if you need a day to, you know, gather your thoughts and all your points, then do that. But don't hold it in because I feel like when we do hold it in, we're just going back and forth with ourselves on what we should have said and things of that sort. And we feel a lot lighter when we do share how we felt offended and why that was offended. Offensive. Right. And then they just listen to what they're saying, too. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they responding with? Cause, and don't think that after that conversation, it's like, oh, I did the work of Christ. One more soul saved. That's not how it's going to work. Like, one conversation, 20-minute, hour-long, two-hour-long conversation, it's not going to completely change someone's views. Yeah. And also, like, recognize you cannot come as someone who has... Who doesn't talk about historical context being like, in 1876, (laughs) and this is why we're here now. No, no, that's not going to work. Like, you have to break it down and and you have to make it accessible. Yeah. Do I talk about historical context with my mom? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How I talk about it is what makes it real. Mm -hmm. And in short snippets. Okay, this this has not been a four-hour-long le- lecture. This has been a f- five years. Yeah. yeah. Five yeah. years to get my mom to, like, recognize and teach on to her family. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom is now talking about Dominican history to her family mm-hmm. because we talked about it. And she's like, you know why you feel that way? Because you were taught to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And you know why you were taught to feel that way? And then she, she starts talking, and, I, and I've seen it with my own eyes, and I think it's so beautiful. But my mom will still turn around and say, I'm scared of black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though she's it's a like, process, y'all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like what you said earlier about the scale, right? Like we're not taking people from fucking like Trump voters to now you you the wokest organizer in your community. Like we're taking them little bit by little bit mm-hmm. and knowing that it's a process and it's a you know it's it's gonna take a while for people to change their minds or or not even change their minds to reconsider something and why they think that way um and if we put that into perspective i think it makes it just like a tiny bit easier 
I think something that um, is important to keep in mind um, is that your own self-care and well-being while you're doing this, right? Again, like picking and choosing um, because it takes a lot to mm. lecture, to teach. I mean, teaching is one of the hardest jobs in, in this world. Um, and so it's like, again... What what is the emotional labor that's going to be required for me to have this conversation with this person? And is it fucking worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, with our parents, you know, with our families, folks that are going to be in our lives that we care about, or people that are even willing to meet you halfway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely worth it. Worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with other folks, it's like you're not even worth like my fucking breath. So right. I'm not even gonna gonna go there. I'm not even gonna go ahead and like like walk you there you know mm-hmm. um you know we I, I think we all we are all in agreement when we say that you know it's not our job to teach white people for example about mm-hmm. our experience mm-hmm. and sometimes th- this is part of that right right like I, I don't think that there's that much of a difference um and it's like how, how do we take care of ourselves while also making sure that we're checking you when you say problematic shit. Absolutely. When it comes to friends, I also want to make an important point that a lot of like anti-black racism and white supremacy is a huge heavy burden on actual black people. Mm-hmm. So if you are a non-black person of color and you are about this work, take that burden off of that black person to educate others, right? Mm-hmm. Be be that true, real ally and do that educating on yourself because we as non-black people, non-black people of color don't experience white supremacy and anti-blackness the same ways that mm-hmm. black people do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For sure. And I think like Josie was saying, taking care of yourself, not everyone is worth your breath. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that we do tell white people like educate your own, mm-hmm. take that on as much as you can. And also figure out when to have these conversations. If you only see your family in Thanksgiving and Christmas, <laughs> I will venture and say, maybe that's not yeah. the best space to be like, Mom, you're racist. <laughs> Don't. Maybe be like, Mom, can we have brunch in April? <laughs> that would be nice. And then you could talk about it. Like, I think it's figuring out the space. Because you don't want to, like, regardless of if your family are, like, super racist, they're still your family, and you probably love them. Yeah. And the moment when you... <laughs> probably, was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you've decided that, like, no, you're not worth my breath, and now I don't, I don't get want you in my life, that's fine. And it's, it, that's also to honor the fact that family has replenishing properties to mm-hmm. our souls. Mm-hmm. And you are entitled to have that from your family and also check them. Yeah. Just figuring out, figure out when is the best space right. to do that for you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You have to honor yourself. You know, are you willing and able to do it at thanksgiving you know or can you save it for another day you have to honor and listen to you know yourself and figure that out for you because sometimes it needs to happen during thanksgiving and christmas Mm, you know sometimes you can't avoid it but if you find it in your heart that you can tackle it go for it but if you don't like but don't do it during dinner yeah, maybe after everybody eats. Maybe I just like keep thinking breakfast. I just keep thinking of like everyone in the living room and you like buzz out the chart paper. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> or like the projector, like have like a PowerPoint ready. That you be preparing. It's like, <laughs> oh, where's my clicker? Wait, my clicker's in my bag. Hold on, ma. <laughs> Don't take out the mac and cheese yet. <laughs> oh my god. But sometimes it has to happen, you know? And <laughs> you're sitting in the turkeys right there, you know? Maximize the opportunity. But also, if you're only seeing your family doing Thanksgiving and Christmas, Maybe see them more often if that's available to you. Yeah. Because maybe that will help them change their views too. And just question it, you know, yeah. and know that you can't change their views completely sometimes. It's a it's a process, you know, and you can do all that you can only do what you can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of segues into our recommendation for this week is to just like check in with yourself. See if you have the energy to have these conversations. If you don't have the energy, you don't have to beat yourself up. It is not like, oh, I didn't address this one racist. Like, this is forever. Like, my my personal color card is forever taken away. (laughs) Like, no, no. That's not how it works. It's it's okay. You get to take care of yourself. You get to remove yourself from situations that are toxic and not healthy for you. And you still get to be part of your community right you're not the only one you know there are other people of color who are also in this fight with you so don't feel you know obligated that you have to you know fight every single battle you know there's people out there who are who have your back too you know Mm -hmm. you're not the only one and if these conversations are draining reach out to your community yeah talk to your therapist because it is real replenish yourself before you jump into another one Alrighty, y'all. That's it from us. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Adios.